This may come as a surprise to some of you, but I am in my 40s, which is really old if you're talking to someone in their 20s, and it's pretty young if you're talking to someone in their 60s. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've started doing a curious thing that surprised me. Um, I've started involuntarily groaning when I stand up. I think I'll be sitting on my couch and I think I need to go get a drink and I stand up and I make an audible sound that just comes out. I'm shaking out my knee and, uh, you know, I did not expect this to happen to be in the I groan when I stand stage of my life so soon. Well, it happens and, you know, Whitney, Whitney rightly will kind of laugh at me and make a little fun of me. And then she'll stand and she'll do the same thing. And she'll grow when she stands up. And the reality is for both of us, our, our, our bodies have aged way quicker than we thought. And these involuntary groans have come out because I, I think in part where our bodies are decaying. A groan comes from a sign of weakness and pain. And it's the cry that the world actually should not be. It's a cry that there's suffering in the world. My knees should not feel the way they feel already. And if life has taught us anything, it's that we can count on suffering. It's a symptom of living the world in the world we live in. You can't outrun it. Wherever we go, there it is. And suffering comes in all different shapes and colors. Sometimes it's very intense and acute. Sometimes it's very long and drawn out over several years. Sometimes it's because of something we've done. Sometimes it's because of something that's done to us. Sometimes it's very public. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes we see it coming. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes suffering eventually ends our life. And sometimes suffering just cruelly seems to extend a very painful life. And suffering... This doesn't just to be, get to be a cognitive idea. It's something we feel vividly. We feel the pain. We feel disappointment, sadness, rejection. And we can't always put it to words. So we groan, expressing our pain when we don't have words. When it comes to suffering and pain, what hope do we have in life and death? And if there is a God, what is he doing about it? It turns out he's done quite a bit about it. And that he promises our groans will turn to glory. But the path to glory is through suffering. It's this path to glory that we have been considering in this three-week series through Romans chapter 8. Last week, we had contrasted the path of the flesh that leads to death against the path of the spirit that leads to life. And in a full-throttled, victorious tone, we celebrated the spirit's work in our, to give us new life, to help us live a good and holy life, and to make us aware that we are adopted. And this was good news for a sinner. That we have no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. And we can live a life victorious over sin. Well, if last week was contrasting two paths. 
This one weighs two different points of the same path in our life, the life of suffering and the glory that it leads to. And it's against this very dark backdrop of suffering that the hope of glory really shines. And it does so in a way that doesn't minimize our suffering. It just highlights that our future glory is going to be so great that it can't be even compared with our current suffering. Therefore, our hope in this present life is future glory. I I think that's the big idea of this passage. And this is the big idea of my sermon that I want you to walk away with. Our hope in present suffering is future glory. And the way our passage kind of maps out today is he makes this case in in the first verse, verses 18. And then Paul, who wrote Romans, seeks to prove this idea and this point with two points. And so first, I'm just going to point out how this big idea is true in this first verse. And then we'll look at how Paul proves it. Let's look again at verse 18 when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with glory that is going to be revealed to us. What a bold claim, a daring claim even, that our present suffering can't be compared even with our future glory that is to be revealed. And I think it's important to see here that Paul is weighing on a cosmic scale, two different ages with two different realities that a Christian lives in. On one end of the scale, there are the sufferings of this present time. You know, the New Testament doesn't talk as much about two different places like heaven and earth as much as two different times, this age and the age to come. And this age began when all the promises of the new covenant came, which you heard in last week's sermon. We have the Holy Spirit that renews our hearts to believe in Jesus' death for our sin. And we have freedom from condemnation. So we are freed and empowered to live holy lives. But in this age, we have not yet received the fullness of these promises. We don't have our resurrection bodies yet. Evil remains on this earth. So the sufferings of this age still include all the pain of living in a broken world as we suffer with Christ. That's what it means to live in the already, but not yet. If you've heard that phrase, we have already received the promises and seal of salvation, but are waiting for the final day to receive the promises in full. And on the other end of the scale is the glory that will be revealed to us. This is another way to speak about the glorified life that comes up in verse 17. And again, in verse 30, when Christ returns, the glory of God will be revealed and the true nature of God's children that is now hidden will be revealed. When we see God's glory, God's glory will also be seen in those who finally image God fully. And there'll be no more pain and suffering. And we could never imagine such a full and complete restoration. Our imaginations are not strong enough to understand how great this final glory will be. And so Paul weighs these two against each other. And the sum total of our suffering in this age will be like dust compared to the weight of glory that is going to be revealed to us. I mean, what a bold claim, especially to those of us who are suffering right now. I mean, sometimes as Christians, we can hear this and think that, oh, this is maybe minimizing our suffering. No, no, no. That's not what Paul is saying. 
He is saying that our suffering is real on the scales of life, but the, uh, but uh, the glory, the hope of glory is so much heavier. It's like the scale. Like think about the suffering you are going through right now and put it on this side of the scale. Think about maybe the pain you're going through, confusion, uncertainty, the depth of darkness, helplessness, the ongoing nature. This feels weighty. This doesn't feel like dust. It feels like I'm carrying an awkward, heavy log on my back. It's a weight I can barely carry. Now picture the amount of weight that has to be on this other side to make this feel like dust. It's like there's been a whole forest worth of logs dropped over here. Paul is saying that the glorified life is going to be so much greater than our suffering beyond what we can ask or imagine. And that does not minimize our suffering now, but lifts our eyes from our suffering to set our eyes on the great hope that he has provided. But as we all know, we're not yet there. Our suffering continues on this path of groans. And Paul wants us to see that our hope in this present suffering is future glory. It will be worth it. And so Paul wants to prove this to us, this bold claim on a cosmic scale by pointing out that all of creation, including his children, are presently groaning in a longing hope for the future because they know future glory is worth it. And then he also sets out to prove this by saying that uh, it is so great because we have a present guarantee of future glory. So the rest of the sermon, I'll be talking in these two proofs and these two points. The first of all, present groaning uh, that, that, that we see present groaning for future glory, present groaning for future glory. And then that we see present guarantee of future glory. So present groaning and present guarantee. Let's look at first at our present groaning for future glory. Paul begins in verse 19, pointing that creation, which is personified and that all creation is groaning for future glory. Verse 19 says, for creation eagerly waits with anticipation. This phrase eagerly awaits, it kind of brings up the idea of someone craning their neck to see over a crowd, to see maybe a coming celebrity or politician. Creation knows it eagerly awaits that this final day is coming. It's looking for it, but it doesn't know when it's coming. And what is creation looking for? Well, it's looking for the day that God's sons are revealed. Why is this so important? Well, first of all, God's sons, it's hidden. Uh, to creation. We know inwardly that we have been adopted because the spirit testifies with us, but creation doesn't see that. And when creation that is revealed to creation on that final day, creation will be restored from its futile bondage of decay from its curse. Right now, creation, there's this kind of futile sense that whatever it does, it just always ends up in death. Things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. And on that day, uh, when, when, uh, when the God's sons are revealed, uh, they will, uh, creation will experience freedom. And it was God that subjected creation to this futility as we see. And this goes all the way back to creation, the curse in Genesis one creation was meant to be this beautiful stage where God's glory and the glory of humanity was to be played out 
I'm sure it was something to see, but after Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed creation. And instead of promoting humanity's glory and God's glory, creation was cursed to work against humanity, creating thorns and thistles. I think this is why we see hurricanes and tornadoes. The earth works against us. And humanity was created to cultivate and protect this land, but now works against the land and destroys it. But on this day, when God's children will be revealed, everything will change. Creation will be freed from the curse of decay and humanity will perfectly care for creation. The hope of creation in our current suffering is future glory when the sons of God will be revealed. Now, I love that we live in a city that takes creation care seriously. Uh, we know how to recycle here. We do it well. Uh, I think this is a reflection of God's common grace, imaging God that we're called to cultivate and protect the earth. And as Christians living in the already, but not yet, we should care for creation too, which means leaving our corner of creation better than we found it. Yet for all the good we can do for creation, that's not what creation is looking for. Creation isn't looking for us to recycle more because that won't delay the inevitable, the final decay of the earth. No, creation is looking forward to that day when, when God's sons are revealed. And it does so and it, by using this language of groaning, which is, I think we see everywhere in this text. And groaning is that sound of pain that we said earlier, but it's not pointless pain. It's like the pains of childbirth that expects to see a new age born. Groaning is the sound of hope and pain. And groaning is a sound that pain is going to be worth it because the new age is coming. I couldn't help but think of, of the Callisons this week uh, who brought baby Wilder well, I shouldn't say the Callisons. Amber brought baby Wilder into it. <laughs> now, I, I wasn't there. But I can assume there was a good amount of pain involved in the labor. And I assume that Amber wasn't worried about saying the perfectly constructed sentences and words to express that pain. I'm sure it probably came out in cries and groans at different times. But those cries and groans of pain were worth it because they knew on the other side they would be holding their new child. This is what groaning is. Hope in pain, in a painful expectation that we know glory is coming. While groaning is, creation is groaning, within that creation, there is a groaning church. And the path to glory is filled with the groans of the children of God. That's what we see in verse 23. Not only that, but we ourselves who have this spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Christians, we groan in part because we have received the down payment of what is yet to come in the Holy Spirit. That's what the first fruits of the Spirit is pointing to. First fruits were given at the beginning of the harvest, and it was a pledge that a full harvest was yet to come. Without receiving the first fruits, without having this taste, Christians wouldn't know to hope for such a glorious future, which only highlights the pain that we feel. But now we know. 
And we know that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. We've tasted joy. We've tasted peace. We've tasted reconciliation. And we know that we'll have it all in full on that final day, but we aren't there yet. So we groan in painful expectation that doesn't minimize our pain now nor rob us of the hope of future glory. Groaning is hoping in a very real day. We know we're adopted now, but it'll be complete on that final day when we receive our new bodies, where there'll be no more sin, no more pain, no more fights, no more exhaustions, no more feeling isolated, but we'll experience the promises in full. And Christians this morning, I want you to be certain that this hope is yours. As you can see in verse 24, this is your hope because you are saved. It's done. If God's spirit dwells in you, salvation, his salvation will carry you start to finish. And hope is yours because God has saved you and you can count on this future glory. And that hope by nature requires faith because we can't see what we hope for. I'm not hoping to see you right now because I see you. I don't have to hope to see you. And hope is hard to hang on when we are suffering because we can't see our future glory. Suffering naturally wants to isolate us, blind us to the hope we have. It'll isolate us in our thoughts as we are by ourselves and our thoughts spiral downward that we will never be truly loved or that we don't have worth. Suffering keeps us from seeing hope in the complex situations we live in when it's tough to see the right call to make. The hope we have is tough to see when physical suffering isolates us from people physically. It isolates us from our dreams and our desires. Suffering blinds us to the hope we have and that we feel like we're going to be stuck forever while we watch the world around us move on. We see the person get the job we wanted. We see the person get married when we want to be married, have a child when we want children. Suffering naturally wants to hide the hope so we can't see it. But Romans chapter eight, these verses are trying to come in and remind us that our hope is not found in our present suffering and to lift our eyes to see that our hope is certain. And that hope is that future day of glory. And so we groan in painful longing of that future glory, fully acknowledging our pain and hope, even if we can't see it now. What does this hope maybe a little bit more tangibly look like? Well, I think verse 25 helps us see this. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. We crane our necks out in eager expectation, waiting, looking, expecting for that final day to come, yet remain fortified in patience, trusting our God to work all things for good when we can't see the good in the situation. And we are to wait neither so eagerly that we lose our patience, nor so patiently that we lose our expectation. We wait with eagerness and patience. And most of us are better at one of these than the other. And none of us keep this in balance perfectly. 
Some of us overemphasize patience and lose enthusiasm, and we give them to apathy and pessimism. Other of us grow impatient, waiting. The pain is so strong. We're trying to force God's hand to bring us relief. Do one of these describe you more than the other? I don't bring this up to, to guilt you, to, but to point this out, this is probably how you groan. You are feeling the pains of suffering. And so I encourage you as we groan and we wait for that day that we both wait eagerly and patiently. This has been hard for Whitney and I. I, I think most of you know our story that now we're about seven and a half years into getting Lyme disease and we could have never imagined how much it would sideline us, how much pain would come, how much like mental illness, how much physical pain. It's, it's been relentless. And it's kind of been like time over tension, time under tension. Seven and a half years in, it doesn't seem to get easier. It actually only seems to get harder as things continue to be exposed in our life. And I'll be honest, sometimes I get stuck in one of these ruts where, uh, where maybe I've just stopped looking. I've stopped expecting because I, I'm in this rut of pain and it doesn't seem like anything's going to pull us out. And other times, maybe I've just too flatly gone through this disease where I just eagerly expecting, oh, Jesus is going to make it better when he returns, which is true, but not patiently enduring the, the suffering that's in front of me. This has been hard. You can't romanticize suffering. Suffering is suffering because we can't control it because we don't want it. And this is our story. I look out and I know so many of your stories and the suffering that faces you daily. And I think Romans eight is trying to come and remind us here that our suffering is real, but it is the path to glory that our suffering is real, but it's not going to last forever. And to lift our eyes and set it on the hope of future glory. So I think we have to remember that day is coming. It's not imaginary. It's not kind of ethereal. It is going to come and it'll be real. It'll be physical. The entire world will see it. And on that day, somehow the restoration of all the suffering you have gone through will be complete. It'll be done. And that glory will so far outweigh these sufferings. And I think that's the proof is that as Christians, we wait for that day. That's the proof that I think Paul wants us to see first. But we know ourselves and we know we're weak. And that if it's based on us, actually, how certain is that hope? Well, that's where Paul shifts us to a second proof of hope, that we have a present guarantee of future glory, that God will save us and that God will bring us to that day. Like the rest of the chapter so far, we see that the central figure is the person of the Holy Spirit who helps us pray, but ultimately it is his prayers for us that give us certainty. If we read in verse 26, in the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. As we often see in scripture, the way of the Christian is through weakness where God's strength is seen. 
And what is the weakness here? Well, it tells us very specifically, it's that we don't know what to pray for, what we should. Maybe we pray for the wrong things because we just struggle to discern our heart and the Lord's will. We struggle with to know what to pray for because we can't see everything. We don't know where everything is headed. In light of our groaning from our previous section, it's often that we maybe just don't have the words. We're tired. We've already prayed through everything. And maybe our physical sickness actually prevents us from praying because the energy and physical and mental capacity just isn't there. But we also know what to, we also don't know what to pray because we can't see everything that is happening like God can. And we don't know why something is happening like God does. And that in the end does not feel certain when we can't see what is happening. So we just don't know what to pray, but God does. God sees everything clearly. God has this aerial view of our path of groans to glory. God knows exactly what's happening. God knows where everything is leading. God knows your heart. The father and the spirit know each other's minds. And so God prays to God. And the good news is that God answers God's prayers every time because God knows what to pray. That's what we see in verses 26 through 28. In verse 26, that the spirit prays for us as we should with unspoken groans. We may pray the wrong thing, but the spirit prays the right thing. And with these unspoken groans, this means that the spirit is identifying with us in our pain. We know that the spirit is longing for that day of future glory. And so he's perfectly praying in light of your particular suffering. Have you had someone pray for you that we're thankful they prayed for us? They gave it a good shot, but they didn't quite actually understand what we're going through. I, I, I'm sure I've done that to you <laughs> at times. Well, that's not the problem we have with the spirit of God. He perfectly knows your pain. And the God, the father who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the spirit who intercedes for the saints perfectly according to the will of God. It is good news that the spirit perfectly prays the will of the father to the father, which again means that God will answer God's prayer every time. This is a present guarantee of future glory, a certain hope. I don't know if this morning you might be discouraged. It seems like God doesn't hear your prayers or answer them, especially when it comes to suffering. Well, uh, join the club. <laughs> That's every Christian here in part because we don't know what to pray. When you hear us often talking about, we want to pray the Bible here. This is in part why we want to pray uh, because the Bible is in perfect accordance to God's will. So as we pray for ourselves, maybe this is an encouragement to just always pray scripture for one another because we know this is perfectly God's will. But take comfort that the, the point of our prayers is not fundamentally to pray the right things to get the results we want. It is to relate to a loving father who has adopted you. It is to be with God. So I encourage you to, to keep praying, however imperfect it might be, because God is with you. 
And if God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want, know that it's actually for your good. He's not distancing himself from you, but is drawing him near to yourself. But ultimately, base your hope in the fact that God answers all of God's prayers and the spirit is groaning for you. Our present guarantee is not only that the spirit is groaning for us and praying for us, but that God has done all the work to save you. He's done all the work to bring you to that glorified life, which is our next section. And this passage verses, verses 28 to 30 are well known. Whole sermons and Sunday school classes have been built around these verses. So I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to go deep into it this morning, but simply to observe that we have a present guarantee of future glory that God has accomplished. As we read verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The point here is that a sovereign God is working in every detail of your life for your good. And Christians are those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So God works for the good of Christians. Now, this verse is great, but I think we've probably all used it, seen it used maybe kind of cheaply or thinly to overpromise what we get on this earth because we are determining what, what is good. So we get disappointed when God isn't working all things to give us the good thing that we want, the spouse that we want, the financial security that we want when the financial drop market drops. And we remember that we hear this on the path from grown to glory, uh, meaning that we receive, uh, we do receive some of God's goodness in part on, on earth. So I think we have some hope of receiving some good like love and joy and peace but we don't receive this in whole. So we still suffer, even though we've received some good in part. And when it says here that God is working all things, including the suffering of our life to be ultimately, to be for your good. Well, ultimately this is talking about future glory. When the good will be so good, when our pain will be so far behind us, the good will be so good, we, we struggle to imagine it here. But God is not wasting your suffering. He's working it all for your eternal good. The next verses explain how we can have a present guarantee of a future glory that is that good. And Paul lists five things in, here in what is often known as the golden chain. And the links of this chain cannot be unbroken. It's God's foreknowledge predestination, calling, justification, and glorification that is our hope. Now, foreknowledge, it just indicates that God intimately knows those he saves before time. Psalm 1-6 says those he knows he watches over and protects those he foreknew. In Hosea 13, God identifies Israel as the only people out of, out of all the families of the earth whom Yahweh had known. It, Israel were those he loved, chose, and formed a covenant with. Those he foreknew, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of the Son. And predestination is putting God's foreknowledge into effect. 
that before the foundation of the world, God decided to save some, those he foreknew, then graciously turned their hearts of believers to him. And this all was for a very specific purpose, to conform us to the image of the Son. This harkens back to last week's sermon, that we are saved to do good and right works just like the Son. We are saved to become like Christ, which we need to process again in this path of the already, but not yet. In part, our suffering helps us to progressively become more like Christ in this life. Suffering often exposes sinful desires, thoughts, and deeds. And God is working the all things of your suffering to become, so you become more like Christ for your good. I bring this up because I think so often hearing correction a lot feels maybe mean. Maybe feels like I want to hear more encouraging things. And we should be encouraged in the gospel. But actually, the more we think about correction, the more we should actually want some of that because becoming like Christ is good. The more we are like Christ, the more goodness comes into our life. We make decisions. We do things that harm ourselves and others, but becoming like Christ brings nothing but good into your life. And to again, remember that correction comes to those whom God has foreknown and loved. Correction isn't for approval. Correction is for your good. But like the rest of this passage, our hope isn't fulfilled in this life. Our Christ-likeness is ultimately fulfilled in our future glory when we will fully and completely become like the Son and our resurrection body will know no more sin because we will be unable to sin and our resurrection bodies will no longer feel pain or suffering. And we aren't conformed to the son just for our sake, but for the sake of the son, that he would become the firstborn of all his adopted brothers and sisters. We have a big brother who has given us a lot and he will receive glory on that future day when we are, are all fully conformed to his image. Now that we know the purpose of, of God's foreknowledge and predestination being in our conformity to son, how does God move us along this path of groaning to glory? Well, we see that, 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 that God called those whom he predestined. And this is the effectual call of the Christians to be saved. Meaning those who are called are saved. This is the spirit's work. We talked about last week to renew our hearts and our nature to turn to Jesus. And then those he called, he is justified. And this is what Romans spends so much time arguing for and helping us see. And this is where God declares a sinner righteous on the basis of Jesus' death. You know, suffering entered the world when humanity sinned. And death entered the world when humanity sinned because it was a penalty for sin, eternal separation from God or eternal suffering. And God's answer to suffering was that he would suffer himself. And so the son 
left the comforts of glory to suffer. He took on flesh to identify with us. He lived a perfect life and he suffered. We haven't lived the perfect life. I can understand why I suffer, but Jesus lived a perfect life and he suffered. And his suffering was most clearly seen on the cross where he died a painful physical death on the Roman cross. Yet even more, he bore the wrath of God for the sin of all those whom God foreknew. I can't tell you why we continue in suffering, but I can tell you that God cares about your suffering and God has answered your suffering because of the cross, because this is where suffering and glory meet where Christ died for the sins of the world and then raised from the dead in the newness of life and now brought in and ushered this new age we live in now. That though we suffer, we have the future hope of glory that our suffering will come to an end. If you struggle to know why you're suffering, look to Jesus, stare at Jesus, meditate on Jesus, He is the answer and the comfort to your suffering. And it was his work that justified us. It was his work that allowed us to cry out no condemnation. And so in the end, then those who are justified, who no longer have to pay the penalty of sin and death are glorified. Through our fu- though our future glorification has yet to come, I don't know if you noticed this, this word was in the past tense, meaning it's done. It is done. God said it will happen. He set in motion everything to bring you to this day of glory. It is done. And this is how our hope of future glory can be certain in present suffering that we can be sure we're destined for future glory, that God has done it all. For the Christian, it is certain because God foreknew us, predestined us, called us, justified us, and will one day glorify us. This is where Romans 8 keeps heading, the path of glory. And this path of groaning we are on will most certainly lead to glory if we are in Christ. And it is how we can have a a hope that has weight and meaning that isn't thin and plastic in the midst of our suffering. Because we know that future glory is so great, it will outweigh our present sufferings. If you consider yourself to to not be a Christian this morning, I I want to ask you, how, how do you deal with your suffering? And maybe more importantly, What is your hope in suffering? Is your hope only to be found in this life? Maybe if our life plans come together, we'll have everything we wanted. Well, this morning you heard the good news that we believe as Christians, that this present suffering in this life is not the full story. In fact, apart from Christ, suffering only continues eternally. And so I want to ask you, is God calling you to a different path today. One that finds new life in Christ. One with a real hope of future glory that will make your current suffering a distant memory.
If you think so, I want you to know that God is calling you to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins right now. That he paid the penalty of your death for you so that you can have new life in Christ. And God is calling you to repent from sin, meaning to keep turning to God to forsake your ways, your limited view of what's happening in this world and begin to trust God and begin thinking and acting like Jesus. I think God is calling you to repent and believe today. If you have questions about this, come talk to me. Talk to someone around you. Don't delay because this path to glory is the, the path I want to see you on. For all, all the Christians here in all your suffering, I just want you to invite you to, for a minute, stop striving and receive the Lord's love in your suffering. I invite you to not let your suffering have the final word of your life today. God has given us a final word that is not another burden, but a legitimate hope, a guarantee that a glory so great is headed your way. Because God has done the work. And unlike human love and human knowledge of someone, God's foreknowledge of you and his love and affection for you causes him to act in a way that guarantees you will make it through suffering to glory because he loves you. When you're discouraged that you don't know what to, re what to pray, remember that God knew you and loved you before the creation of this world, and he knows what to pray for you. When you're discouraged that the Lord is not removing your suffering, hope in the fact that one day God will. And when he does on that final day, he will restore your particular suffering in, in such a beautiful and complete way. The loneliness you suffer through now won't just be removed, but be replaced by such a rich and intimate uh, sense of relationship and belonging. Your physical suffering will not just be removed, but restored to an energetic freedom. That blows my mind. Believe it or not, your body will feel good. <laughs> the sin you commit that brings so much suffering to you and others will not only be gone, but you will act rightly towards others in a way that fosters deep and rich relationship. What is the suffering you're going through today? I want you to think of it now. And can you imagine what your particular restoration will be like in that future glory? And I can probably already tell you, your imagination is not enough. God is going to restore the brokenness and the pain of this world in such beautiful ways. Church, our hope and our present suffering is future glory. Though we groan in this life, it's not a pointless pain or pointless groaning. It's a groaning that assures us that, that the best is yet to come. And when our own weaknesses betray us, we have the hope that God answers God's prayer every time for us. And he knows just what to pray for us. 
And he has done the work start to finish on this path from groaning to glory. So let's not strive in our own strength, but let's strive in the strength that Christ has given us. Would you pray with me? Our father in heaven, we, we thank you. The suffering does not have the final word. Lord, we had no right to claim anything beyond suffering because of our sin, but Lord, you have changed it all. Lord, we thank you for the, the freedom and forgiveness we have in Christ that guarantees that our, these groans is not all we have to expect in this life. Oh, but we can have a, an eager and patient hope The future glory has yet to come. Lord, help us in our weakness. Help us to know what to pray what we should. And Lord, we trust that your prayers for us are effectual. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.